continue in our series, Christ Above All, sermons through the book of Colossians. This morning, as we uh, come to the next section, we want to see Christ above all in our marriages, Christ honored, exalted, served, submitted to, loved in the way that we're married, in the way that we do relationship in the home. Uh, This morning, we are on Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, It's a word to our wives. There will be much, I think, for our husbands yet today. Uh, But also, next week we celebrate Easter, but you'll see verse 19 is directed to you husbands. And I admonish you in the Lord to come back week after next uh, for your turn. Uh, It is the word of God. So, and uh, my wife knew we were preaching on this. I was preaching on this this morning, and she had to serve in the nursery this morning, you know, and it just made me wonder how much Elisa made on the deal, but she gets enough of me at home. Hear then the word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we do come this morning to you and to your presence. We come to bow the knee, to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn of him, to learn what it means to obey and to serve and to honor and bring you glory in the way that we're married, in the way that we live at home. So Father, come near. And in the midst of the words I say, may your voice be heard clearly. And Father, work in us, work in our homes, that we may have homes full of peace and honor and order. To the glory of your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is one of the perhaps most misused and misunderstood and scorned passages in the Bible. But none of this nullifies its truth and its validity. Uh, We live in an age where it gets harder and harder to teach certain truths, to to speak the whole counsel of God, because there are some things that have really, uh, the culture has moved away from, and and it has become more and more uh, scorned, more and more dismissed, and not only in the world, but even in the church. And so it's important for us as we come to the text this morning, it is God's word, and it's important in in helping us to understand and obey this portion of scripture. A verse like this is to grab some of its context. And I do believe the context here, at least it helps me because the context, as you remember a couple of weeks ago and the verses that preceded are really all about the passion for Jesus Christ. In the verse that that proceeds in verse 17, if you look at it as we ended that last section, he says, in whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus out of a passion and a love for him and his name, giving thanks to the Father through him. And then he immediately goes in, wives submit to your husband, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents, parents don't provoke your children, you know, servants or employees, you know, work honorably and masters, be just and fair. And he, and he walks through all of these relationships. And he starts with these two li- one-liners. 
But there's the immediate application. You have to see the immediate application in, in, in every one of our relationships. In whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, in a passion and a love for him, grateful before him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. But we only get these two one-liners, right? And so, Paul, there's a certain amount that the church knows, perhaps, at this point. And so he gives these summaries of, of, I think, the role of husbands and wives in the home, what it looks like to be a wife in the name of the Lord Jesus, grateful and thankful before God, is summarized in that statement, wives, submit to your husband, as is fitting in the Lord. But it means that your marriage is not just about you and your spouse. It's not just about you and your husband or your wife. And so that whatever part you play in your marriage, he says, is is done out of a passion for the Lord Jesus and his name and his glory. It's about Jesus. And it is the right answer, right? It is. It's about Jesus. All of these things, all of these relationships, we often make the mistake that when Jesus gives us a command about our relationships, our mistake is to think that it's about the other person. It's about us and the other person. So when Jesus tells us to love your enemies, our mistake is to think that it's about the enemy. And so we're looking at the enemy and we really don't like them. You know, it's kind of the definition of enemy. You know, in some ways I'm at odds with them. I don't feel like loving them. I don't. And we think it's about us and our enemy, but it's really about you and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus. It's not about the enemy. It's about the one who calls you. It's about the one who commands you. It's about your Lord and your Savior, your relationship with him. You know, it's the same thing when he says, forgive one another. And we think it's about us and the person we're supposed to forgive. And we look at the person we're supposed to forgive and we don't want to or we don't think they deserve it or we don't feel like it. And we think it's about us and them and we get all caught up and it's really hard because we think it's about us and them. But it's not. It's about you and Jesus. The one who calls, the one who commands, the one who has loved you, the one who has forgiven you. It's about your relationship with him. So when Jesus gives a command to wives to submit to their husbands, it's a mistake to think it's about your husband. And if you look at your husband and you might start thinking, well, he doesn't deserve it or I don't want to or it's not, you know, and there are all these things and it can get really hard if you make it about your husband and who he is instead of about you and Jesus and that whatever you do, you're doing it out of a passion and a love for him and his name and that it's about who you are in relation to him as you obey the one who calls and commands. We will struggle to obey so many things if we don't understand. It's always about you and Jesus. And so he says, whatever work, and we see this as it runs through this passage, because he says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wives, 
husbands, children, parents, servants, masters. And then as he gets right to the end of this list of relationships and how we're supposed to behave in them, be in them, be his person in those relationships, he gets down to verse 24 and 23, and he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, not for your husband, not for your employer, not for your parent, not for your whatever command that was given to you. You're not doing it for the person to whom you were called, right? If you're a child called to obey, child, you're not doing it because of who your parents is between you and the Lord. Don't do it. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So no matter what your husband does, you're to serve the Lord Christ by doing what he calls and commands. And husband, no matter what your wife is doing, you're called to obey. To serve. It's about you and him. It's about who you are as his man, his woman. And as I said, don't worry. Two weeks we will talk about husbands after Easter. And then children and then parents and employees. Well, our text is often dismissed. It's an antiquated cultural leftover. And we're often given a whole bunch of reasons, thinking about uh, culturally why this, you know, this patriarchal society, and that's the way, you know, whatever. And so we get this command, and, and it's really just a cultural leftover. It doesn't apply to today in modern, you know, uh, progressive societies, and we can dismiss this kind of thing, get your scissors out, you know, just cut, paste these things into, you know, some appendix somewhere, and get them out of the way. And so it's often despised. Not just in the world, but in the church. I hear men and women, husbands and wives, despising this teaching, despising these words in Scripture, just flat out saying, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh, you know, can't see it happening. Um, But God does not base his command on culture. Ephesians chapter 5, and if you don't know that this whole section, going back a number of verses and, and going all the way forward, and this whole section is, is really is paralleled, some parts of it almost verbatim and others expanded, in Ephesians chapters 4 and 5. So there's these parallels, but when he gets to this, when Paul covers it in Ephesians, uh, which is a longer book, he gives it a little more time and explanation. Um, so he explains the same things. You get the same command, wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let each of you, and this jumps to the end of that passage, 33, summarizes, let each of you love his wife as himself, and the wife see to it that she respects her husband, And I pull that verse in there as a summary, but he moves from submitting to respect and how these things are related. The wife is to submit to her own husband, to respect him and his headship, right? He calls it headship, which is to follow his leadership. And the first thing we see, though, this is not a cultural accom- accommodation. It is a divine ac- economy. It's a structure that God has set up. 
that he has designed and devised and put forth. Marriage is a display, Ephesians 5 tells us, a display of Christ. And so he says in its relationships, on display in a marriage is a relationship between Christ and his church. And in the marriage, the husband takes the role as the head of the home, as he says, and the wife takes the role of the church, who submits and responds to Christ's leadership. And so he structures it, and when he, when he grounds this teaching, he does not say, wives, submit to your husbands because it will help protect our witness in the world, you know, or whatever. It won't make any sense if we start doing it a different way from cultural, or, or if he says, I mean, there are any number of ways, the way we've always done it, you know, from time immemorial, this is the way. But he doesn't. He goes theological. His explanation of the way things are and the way that God is asking them to be in the home is theological. The husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. It is the divine order of things. God has established all authorities. The scripture tells us over and over again, uh, from civil government to the church to the home, the main authority structures in the world as God has designed it. And he says that he has established civil authority and he has given them the sword and not for nothing. And it's fitting in the Lord that the civil government should have the sword and not the church. It's fitting the way he designed it. And in the church, there is an authority structure. There is a spiritual leadership that bears not the sword of justice, but the sword of the spirit. And there is an authority structure then within the church. And then he says, and there is in the home as well. And God has designed these things himself. That's why Paul says in verse 18 that the wives submit to your husbands as is fitting. In the Lord. And the word fitting there is as we would, would take it. It means that what is right, what is proper, um, the way things are, one's duty. So he calls us to it. Bonhoeffer says, God establishes a rule of life. It's a wedding sermon that he, he gave. He says, God has established a rule of life by which you can live together in wedlock. And this rule of life is so important that God establishes it himself. Because without it, everything would get out of joint. There is much strife in our homes because things are out of joint. And husbands aren't doing their job and wives aren't doing their jobs. And when each of us, out of our passion and our love for Christ and his name, fulfill our role in marriage, there's a beautiful thing that happens. And we'll talk about a little bit. And he says, because without it, everything would get out of joint. You may order your home is like, except in one thing. The wife is to be subject to her husband. And the husband is to love his wife, as Christ loved the church, because this is the way God has commanded and designed it. And while there is some great freedom in our homes in terms of the who does what and how we do certain things, there's great freedom. He says there's a lot of freedom except in this. God's ordained structure. So let's talk about what submission is and what it isn't. Um, uh, and we'll start with what it isn't. And we'll, we'll talk about what it is because it can be a bit scary. And I know for, uh, for wives who are sitting here, if you start to feel like, okay, God has said this, it is a little scary sometimes for a number of reasons, and not the least of which is it's often been abused. Right? It's been abused in our culture. It's been in, abused in churches and, uh, over time where husbands have become oppressive or abusive. 
and they distort what God calls them to as a loving, godly, holy leadership in the home to abusive or oppressive, manipulative control. They distort the biblical meaning and beauty, the beauty of what God has designed. So let's talk about what it's not, right? The Bible is calling us to something that is beautiful and healthy. So if you're thinking of something that isn't beautiful and healthy, you're probably not thinking of biblical, the biblical model, right? And so a few things that it's not. It's not a subordination of women in general to men in general, right? It applies to the home. It applies to the marriage. It is not a subordination of women in general. It says in Ephesians 5, wives submit to your own husbands. You don't have to submit to anybody else's husband or any other man or any other situation. I don't think it applies in the workplace. It doesn't apply outside. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. It's not saying that men are smarter or more talented or better. And sometimes people will say, well, if you say you can put this structure, you know, what are you saying? They're smarter. I know a lot of women who are smarter than me, who are better than me or more talented than me. It's It's not a matter of saying who's who's more uh, skilled or smarter. It's not even an inequality. And try to hear me in this, because as soon as you say, because as soon as you say that, you say it's kind of the Orwellian, you know, some are more equal than others, right, when you put somebody in, in a position of leadership. But, but it, it, that's a role change. That's a role that God has given, but it doesn't speak of an inequality uh, in, who, in who we are in our relationship with God. We are equals before God, and we are equals as human beings. And the gospel says there is neither male nor female. And in that sense, there's an equality in Christ. In 1 Peter, when he t- talks about this issue, he says, wives are heirs with you of the, of the uh, grace of life. Right? And that, that we before the Lord are, are both heirs. We're co-heirs. It's not even the male heir and the... You know, we're co-heirs. We're all, in that sense, sons who receive the inheritance before the Lord. There is this equality as people and spiritually, but we're given different and complementary roles. To structure. And I stepped out, and I think, I think it is biblical. I don't think I stepped out. It's the way I've understood it. And Think of the relationships within the Trinity within God himself, right, in his inner life as a Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When, we, when, when you read the Nicene Creed, the creed labors after communicating the deity of the Son and his equality with the Father. Right? The Son is co-equal <clears throat> with the Father. He shares His essence. He is equal in power, equal in glory. The Son is a glorious divine being. He is God. Yet He's not the Father. And there's an economy within the very Trinitarian Godhead. There is an economy where the Son willingly and graciously and harmoniously and beautifully and eternally submits to the Father. And their roles, though equal in beauty and power and glory and eternity and essence and divinity, and though equal, they have different roles. 
And if you read 1 Peter 1, it says that, the, you know, the God the Father who, who predestined and determined and the Spirit who calls and sanctifies and the Son who bled and died for us. And there is an economy in the Godhead. If you think I stretch it, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this. God says through Paul, God says, I want you to understand these relationships that the head of every man is Christ, that he is under authority. The head of a wife is her husband, that she is under authority. And the head of Christ is God. Right? So he lays out three parallel relationships, and he says, as the son submits to the father in a beautiful, harmonious way, so also the husband is to submit to Christ, in his leadership, and we'll talk to you in two weeks, but also then the wife is to submit to her husband, and when she does so, she imitates Jesus. It's not degrading to the son when he submits to the father. It is his delight. He does it willingly, and it is his delight to bring glory to the father, and in return, the father gives glory to the son in his own way. And there's a beautiful relationship that God has designed, and it comes down into the, the marriage, the relationship that we have is a display of Christ. Piper says, hear this, ladies, as a call to something strong and noble and beautiful and dignified and worthy of a woman's highest spiritual and moral efforts because you're imitating Christ when you do so. And we honor him and the one who calls and the one who commands and we do it in his name. So we've been saying it doesn't mean that, um, that there's necessarily an inequality. It doesn't mean that uh, women are subordinated to men in general. It doesn't mean that men are smarter or better or anything like that. It also doesn't mean that the wife is the husband's servant. And this is one of the ways it gets abused. This means, you know, that she does all the work around the house. That she, you know, she's the one and we, you know, and it becomes this. It doesn't mean your wife is your servant. She is your partner. She is your companion. She is your friend. She is your co-laborer. She is one with whom God has linked you to fulfill his purposes in your home and in the world. She's not given to you as a slave to do your dirty work. It's not a blank check for masculine selfishness. In fact, it's actually just the opposite because a loving servant leadership is very different. Think did Jesus say we're just, you know, in a sense, his servants? Jesus came incarnate. He took our flesh. He lived our lives. He suffered our temptation. He died our death, right? He washed our feet like Jesus wasn't above, in a sense, dirty work because he was the leader, because he was the Lord. He was willing to do dirty work, so to speak. And so in my home, I vacuum very often. I'm not the only one, but we, we take turns, and I vacuum as often or not. I scrub floors on my hands and feet. I fold laundry, at least my laundry, and we tend to split that up. I do dishes all the time and empty the dishwasher. We work together to run our home. And we delegate and we, and we compromise on these things, but my loving leadership is not above serving, washing feet, 
It's not above loving her by serving her. In fact, that's exactly what he calls us to, is Christ laid down his life and washed our feet and did our dirty work. And in many ways, the husband needs to step up. But we have an economy in our house, and these things, we delegate these things back and forth to work together. It's not a license for men to oppress or abuse or to control or to treat in any way your wife is less than God's gift to you and responsibility before the Lord for which you will answer. For the husband to behave this way, and this I should say next week, but I say it now as we lead in so wives can hear it. For, wives behave, for husbands to behave that way is blasphemy. Right? And hear me, because the way a husband behaves toward his wife, he is declaring that's what Jesus is like. That's how Jesus does it. Because a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He is to lead like Christ. He is to be Christ in his home. As, as, as Christ is head of the man, the man is head of the wife. And so as Christ is head of him, he is head of his wife. And what he does, how he leads, how he treats her, his attitudes, and what he does, he is declaring that's how Jesus is. And so husbands, be careful. What you say about Jesus the way you are a husband to your wife. So that's what it doesn't mean, and let's talk just a little bit then. It does mean there is a submission to your husband's leadership. God says, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. That is, Ephesians 5, 24, in everything. So you ask the question, wives, how does the church submit to Christ? If you were to put some adjectives on it, some ways on it, what would you put on it? How should we as the church be submitting to the Lord Jesus? Should it be willing? Should it be eager? Respectful? Loving? In everything? The way that we respond to his loving leadership? Knowing that he has first loved us? 1 Peter 3 some folks who say, well, this is Paul. You know, Paul is a little rough. I have a hard time with Paul. Well, Peter, who everybody identifies with Peter, right? Peter's the one who's like out there and saying stuff and making mistakes and sinking in the water. Peter says, likewise, wives, not to put the scripture at odds with each other or the apostles, but we find this in, in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Peter. We find it throughout. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own, your own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, right? And if you say there, some do not obey the word, you can take that to be uh, maybe they're not a Christian. They don't obey the word like the, the gospel word. You know, they're not a believer. And the Bible speaks to that, again, in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, of what it means to be married to an unbeliever. And if he'll stay, then you should stay too. And you should be who God has designed and called you to be in that marriage. So even if your husbands don't obey the word, you should, that they may be one without a word. But it could also mean not that they're not Christians, but that they're just husbands who haven't stepped up into their role, who are not obeying the word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? Which is a tall order, which we'll talk about. But even if they're not doing their job, he says to the wife, you do your job, that you might win them 
without word, by the conduct of your lives, when they see you're respectful, which is what he has called, the submission to his leadership, your respectful and pure conduct, that you are before the Lord who he has called you to be. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. We tend to sometimes scorn. The world would scorn that. You should say, you know, that they should have gentle and quiet. It's precious in the Lord's sight. For this is how holy women, believing women, godly women who hoped in the Lord, who loved him, used to adorn themselves. How? By submitting to their own husbands. They adorn themselves with obedience in the way that God has designed it. Biblical submission is the wife's attitude and disposition to respect and to follow her husband's leadership. It's the wife's attitude and disposition to respect her husband and to follow his leadership and to respect and to submit to them by virtue of his office. Because so often people will say, I'll respect him when he's earned it. And I would say there's so many parallels to this, and we know. I respect the police officer, because if he pulls me over to the side of the road and walks up to my car, he's wearing a gun <laughs> and a uniform, and I respect that. Right? But I respect it because it is fitting in the Lord. The government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. I respect that. God has vested them, the police officer, with a certain amount of authority. He's not, he's, he may not be smarter than me. He may be not any better morally than me. He may not even be a nice guy. I don't, I don't know what kind of guy he is, but here's the thing. I still say, yes, sir. <laughs> like, can I see your license? Yes, sir. <laughs> By virtue of his office, because God has established every authority that there is. And we know, even if you don't have a gun, there, that, that office brings something. They're not smarter people or better people, but it's the economy of it. They've been given a certain role. And my job is to respond to that role appropriately. Bonhoeffer says the dignity that is here ascribed to man lies not in any capacities or qualities of his own, but in the office conferred on him by his marriage. The wife should see her husband clothed in this dignity because of his God-given role, his office before God under Christ. Piper says, the clock in my pulpit is broken. Somebody may want to get on that because um, I don't know what time it is. <clears throat> Just saying. So Piper says the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts, to honor and affirm her husband's leadership, to encourage it. If he's not good at it, what do we do with anybody who's not good at something? There are different ways to respond, but the best way is to help them, right? To respect them, to be patient, to not put them down, to not belittle them, but to help them. And so a wife's, a wife's role, it says you may win him without a word without nagging, without putting him down, without becoming angry, without manipulating, but there are ways to help a husband 
enter into his role, to step into his God-ordained role. But the fact that he isn't in his role doesn't mean that we shouldn't do ours. And husband, that's the same. No matter what your wife does, honor Christ. Help him be the leader if he needs help. Respect him. I think of a tandem bike, a couple of just illustrations, a tandem bike. Um, I like that picture because somebody has to ride in the front. It's not necessarily the better person, the smarter person, the faster person, or whatever, but somebody's got to ride in front, and God has said, who gets to ride in front? Somebody has to ride in front and take that job with the steering wheel. And so the husband is on the front. But on a tandem bike, if you get the image, both people are incredibly important. If the wife stops pedaling or actually, like, locks her feet in, things get ugly really fast, (laughs) right? Which is why, you know, willing submission. But so both are important. Right? We, should, we have to work together. We have to be in unison. Right? And, I, and so we need to listen to each other and talk to each other and engage with each other. It's a life that is full of listening and cooperation and loving compromise and relying on each other's strengths. I mean, a husband is a fool if he does not rely on his wife's strengths and her insights, and her opinions, and listen to them. My wife is smarter than me in different areas. I mean, we have our different, and that's the whole point. We're complementary, right? We complement each other. And so she has strengths that I don't have. She is able to offer a unique perspective. She is caring and attentive in ways that I'm not. She is intuitive. In fact, she is freakishly intuitive. Um, in ways that I am not. So uh, to listen and to engage with my wife and to, in many ways, I'm going to say follow her lead may be too strong, but to, to, to engage my wife in the whole process so that most of our decisions end up being made together in relationship and in dialogue. But there is a willing deference, a willing deferring to my leadership in the points where it is necessary. In the points where, as we are in harmony, leadership is necessary. Decisions are necessary. Forward motion is necessary. And so we work together in everything and all things. And then where it's necessary, she willingly defers to my leadership and respects it. To submit to your husband is an act of faith and an act of obedience to Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it's a beautiful thing. The Trinity accomplishes our salvation in perfect harmony. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their own roles. The Son submitting to the Father and the Spirit being poured out in the lives of His people in His own way. And a beautiful, harmonious, unified, glorious, redemptive thing takes shape. Let me say real quickly two things. One, there there can be a toxic leadership in the home. I would say really clearly to women, men are not always trying to lead their family in Christ-like humility for the glory and purposes of God. And they do usurp the role for their own selfishness. And I would say this, when men selfishly abuse their authority instead of leading their wives end up controlling or oppressing, I would remind husbands first they are under the authority of Christ and I would not blaspheme him in those ways. But secondly, I would say this, the wife always has the right to seek the authority under which her husband abides. In other words, you can approach church leadership that all of us have taken vows, 
right, under to submit to the government and discipline of the church. We're all under this authority. We have vowed to live lives that are pleasing to Christ. And if you're in a home that is abusive or intolerable in different ways, whether verbally, emotionally, or spiritually, or verb, uh, you name it, you have recourse. Matthew 18 says, if you've tried to talk to him and you've intervened with his friend or whatever, he says, tell it to the church, tell it to the leadership, and let them help you. Because your husband is under the leadership of the church. We are all under authority. It is not helpful, healthy for anyone to be out from under it. I am under it. We all must be. Your husband is. You are not without recourse. And I would say where there's any criminal behavior, you have the right to pursue legal action. And you can do both of those without his permission. To submit to his leadership does not mean to put up with abusive or criminal behavior. Let me leave you with a picture, I think, of beauty. We just finished the, the Winter Olympics. I love the snowboarding. You see some of the jumps and stuff? I'm just, really? Some of the, it's amazing. The, the Olympics, I really enjoyed them this year. And even the figure skating, as I've grown up, I've appreciated it more and more. I can watch it to a degree. Um, <laughs> There is a beauty and a power to what's going on out there, right? Let me, let me just read to you from this guy named John Enzor, where I stole it. He leads her onto the ice, and he initiates each part of the routine. She receives that leadership, and she trusts in his strength. His raw physical strength is more on display than hers. He does all the lifting, the twirling, the catching. She compliments his strength with her own more diminutive and a more attractive strength of beauty and grace and speed and balance. His focus is the head or the leader is to magnify her skills. Her focus is on following his lead and signaling her readiness to receive the next move. He takes responsibility for the two of them, and she trusts his leadership and delights in it. If he makes a mistake, she pays the larger physical price, but he pays the larger emotional price. She falls, but he fails. So he has to learn to initiate and to risk. She has to help him understand her moves and to endure his learning curve. It's an art form. They do not fight for equality on the ice. They possess it as a given. They are not jostling about fairness. They are focused on doing their part well. No one thinks that she is belittled as she takes her lead from him, skating backward to his forward. They complement each other. They complement each other each doing their own role to the glory and praise of God. Marriage is meant to display the glory of God in the relationships. Each of us has a role to play, and they are different. But when they are done well, they are beautiful. They bring peace to our homes and glory to the Christ whom we imitate. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. And Father, we confess that some of these things are harder to understand or harder for us to uh, practice in the face of a world that scorns them and our own hearts that resist. But Father, I pray that you would write these things in our hearts in a fresh way this morning. It's not only this morning, but in a couple of weeks as we just talk about the beauty that is meant to be encased and magnified in our marriages. Oh, would you come near by the power of your spirit 
Help us to do whatever we do, everything we do in the name and in the passion for the Lord Jesus. We want to honor you in the way we do everything, especially at home. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.